the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Some weeks you read the readings and think, oh dear God, what am I supposed to do with these? But this week there were three readings that I could have preached on any one of them. Uh, That great story of uh, that really tricky family that... uh, that God's promise comes through that just keeps deceiving one another and pulling the wool over the eyes, the heads of each other. Uh, So that's a good story from Genesis. And then that really well-known reading from Romans, bits of which we hear at every funeral. But I want to focus this week on the Gospel, which for the third week is about the Kingdom of Heaven. As I read that, I thought about all the ways that that phrase has been understood over the centuries. I guess for a lot of people, the kingdom of heaven has been something that will happen at the end of time in another place, in heaven. I've had Christians tell me that. We don't need to worry about what what happens in this world. Uh, The kingdom of heaven will come at the end of the age and everything will be made right. All we need to do is make sure that everything's okay with us. Don't worry about poverty and injustice, John. That will end in its due course. There are others who think that the kingdom of heaven will be manifest here and now and we need to look out for it. When I hear the phrase Kingdom of Heaven, what comes to mind immediately is the film Kingdom of Heaven, which was all about the last crusader kingdom in the Middle East. And that seemed to have as little to do with heaven as you could possibly get, really. But it was all done in the name of the Kingdom of Heaven. And the reality is, over the centuries, there have been a number of empires who have thought of themselves as the kingdom of heaven. The Byzantine Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, the Vatican States. And there's even a line of thought in America that they are the highest expression of Christian democracy. They are a modern kingdom of heaven. And there are lots of people who see the church as an expression of the kingdom of heaven. So what about you? Kingdom of heaven. What does that evoke for you? What do you think of when you hear that phrase? As I was thinking about that phrase, I also began to wonder, what did it mean for the people listening to Jesus? So I kind of read some of my sources, and the truth is, it's pretty hard to tell. Because most of the people Jesus was talking to couldn't read or write, and the people who could read or write at the time didn't really think that what they thought was of much chop, so they didn't write about it. So what did the people listening to Jesus think about the kingdom of heaven? Who knows? Because no one bothered to ask them. Which is probably why, when you read the commentaries, no one bothers to ask that question. But the people who did write... The rabbinic sources, well, there was a bit of a, well, you could say there was one thing you could say for sure. The kingdom of heaven would happen at the end of the age. It was an apocalyptic 
vision. For some, it would happen somewhere else, in heaven. And for others, it would be here on earth. But for all of those sources, the kingdom of heaven was the reign of God. When God's reign would happen over all the earth and over all people. And God's righteousness and peace and justice would be established over all people, whether it was here on earth or in heaven. And for those who thought it was in this world, they clearly thought that it would be would involve the end of the reign of the Romans. And for a lot of people, it would also mean an end to the high priests as they were. Now that might sound a little surprising, but for most people, the high priests, not the priests, but the high priests, were not held in great regard. They were seen as more interested in getting rich than serving God, which, you know, was pretty accurate, to be honest. So, with all that in mind, what our expectations of the kingdom of heaven are, and what the people listening to Jesus, in terms of their expectations of the kingdom of heaven, let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. Now, this is the third week in a row that Jesus has talked about the kingdom of heaven. And to recap then, two weeks ago, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a crazy man who sows his seed wastefully and generously all over the place, on paths and rocky soil and in the midst of weeds and in good soil. Now, to us, that sounds really familiar. We've had 2,000 years to hear that story. So we kind of nod and go, well, yes, of course, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, because that's all we've ever heard. But to those people who were thinking of some kind of apocalyptic thing happening at the end of the age when the Romans are kicked out and God's reign is established over everyone and everywhere, just think what that would have sounded like. A load of gobbledygook, really. Which is why Jesus goes on to say, there's a whole lot of people to his disciples who are saying to him, what? What did that mean? And he says, well, I'm telling these parables because Isaiah says that I will, somebody will come and, and people will hear but not understand and they will see but not really get what they're seeing. And they're going, yep, that's us. And so he has to explain a parable that seems pretty straightforward to us. And then last week he said, the kingdom of heaven is like somebody who sows a field but in the dead of the night, somebody comes in and seed, sows a whole lot of weeds. And the servants go, what should we do about that? Now, that might make sense to us. It might not. But to those original listeners, what sense would have that made? They're looking for some apocalyptic great restoration of God's authority. And Jesus is talking about people sowing weeds in fields. Doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Well, this week he goes on. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like somebody who sows a mustard seed. Now there's a difference here between Mark and Matthew. If you remember Mark, Mark says the mustard seed grows into the tallest of trees. 
which is pretty difficult because it's really a shrub. So Matthew kind of corrects that and says, it grows into the greatest of shrubs, which (laughs) turns into a tree, which is more accurate. And what we miss in all of this is, in fact, the mustard seed is a weed. No one in their right mind would sow a mustard seed anywhere. The stupid thing grows all over the place where you don't want it. You don't sow it. You get rid of it. So here's what Jesus is really saying. The kingdom of heaven is like a weed, which people go round and sow, and it grows big enough for the birds of the air to nest in and to nest underneath. What on earth is Jesus on about? And you can imagine people saying, What? What are you talking about? Could you explain that a little bit? So Jesus goes on. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who hides yeast in a truckload of flour. Now the Greek word here is hide, not mix. The translators thought, hide? What am I supposed to do with that? That's a crazy word. We'll translate that as mix because that makes a whole lot more sense. But it actually means hide. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who hides yeast and the amount of flour is a ridiculous amount of flour. It would make so much bread that no family could eat that before the bread goes off. Now, we're used to yeasty bread. That's what we eat. That's what we buy in the supermarket and it's all good. So that kind of sounds good to us. But in fact, in Jesus' time, most people ate unleavened bread. And certainly the religious ceremonies only used unleavened bread. And part of the reason for that was yeast is tricky stuff. We're used to little packets of granulate or jars of granulated stuff. And you use that and it doesn't go off and it's all good. But in Jesus' time, they didn't have these little granulated jars. You had to keep the stuff going and it's living. And because it's living, it can go off. And then suddenly you have this terrible bread that tastes disgusting because the yeast went off and yeasty bread doesn't last as long as unleavened bread anyway it goes mouldy quicker it goes off quicker and so most people chucked the yeast and just went for unleavened bread so this is a crazy story the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who uses yeast hides yeast in flour and makes all this bread that no one Like it's just too much bread. That's a ridiculous image, isn't it? So all these people are very confused and Jesus goes on. The kingdom of heaven is like a peasant farmer, because that's the only person that really works the land. A peasant farmer who in working this land finds treasure. Well, that's not uncommon. There were no banks in this time. So if you had treasure, you went out and you hid it in your field. And you know where you've hid it, but no one else does. And if you die without telling anyone else, well, good luck to the next person who's working that field because they'll find it. So this peasant finds treasure in the field and then goes off and finds, somehow finds enough money to buy the field. Now to us that sounds like quite a reasonable thing, but to Jesus' listeners, they're standing there going, where on earth is a peasant going to find enough money to buy a field? At this point... Peasants aren't buying fields, they're losing their fields. That's why they're peasants, they can't pay the tax. So they lose their fields and the landowners are growing more and more landed and the peasants are becoming less and less landed. 
Again, it sounds straightforward to us, but to Jesus' listeners, this is a ridiculous story. No peasant can ever find enough money to buy a field. Or, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who finds what he's looking for, sells his stock, and buys that. It's not quite on the same scale as the peasant, but merchants, I wonder in what regard merchants are regarded. Nowadays we kind of think of them as reasonable people, but, you know, not the best people, pretty tricky, untrustworthy. The kingdom of heaven is like a tricky, untrustworthy merchant. And the last one, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that drags all the fish up onto the shore and at the end of the age they are separated out. What on earth are people supposed to do with these stories? Now again, we've had 2,000 years to be familiar with them. And we are familiar with them. And for us, they are what the kingdom of heaven is about. But for those early listeners and to those first people reading the, hearing the gospel, they would have gone, this is insane. What are we supposed to do with this? And we don't hear this, but almost in between each of these stories, Jesus says, a whole lot of people are going to hear and not understand. Well, too right they're not going to understand, because how can you understand it? What is Jesus talking about? Well, in part, he's just talking about himself. The people in authority, the scribes, all those kind of people, the Pharisees, the high priests, when they hear Jesus talking, they see him being like a weed. So he's kind of describing himself. The kingdom of heaven is like a weed. Well, that's me. I'm a weed who keeps popping up all over the place, unwanted, doing things that people really don't want. And they're not seeing it as the kingdom. But this is the kingdom of heaven. So what are we supposed to make of it? Well, the kingdom of heaven is where it's not supposed to be. So where would we expect it? Probably in church. I think Jesus is saying, if you're looking for the kingdom of heaven, don't look in church. Look somewhere else. Look amongst people who you don't think the kingdom of heaven should be among. Look for the signs of the kingdom that are like weeds. The ridiculous acts. And don't worry about who's in and out. There's enough stories in there about who's not worrying about who's in and out. We'll worry about the weeds and the wheat at the end of the age, which fish is good and which fish is bad. And Jesus keeps warning us, just because you're a descendant of Abraham and just because you're a scribe or a Pharisee or a priest or just because you're wealthy or just because you're at the heart of the religious system, don't assume that you are part of the kingdom. And just because you're poor, or an orphan, or a widow, or sick, or a leper, don't assume that you're not part of the kingdom. God will make that decision at the end of the age. 
And we have this beautiful image, which one of the commentators talked about, with the birds nesting on that mustard shrubbery, which some commentators say is an image of all the Gentiles coming and nesting in the kingdom. It's an image of what the kingdom will look like at the end of the age. An image that kind of points us towards the Eucharistic table, which again is an image of inviting all people to gather around in the Eucharistic feast at the end of the age. Well, this week is Social Service Sunday, and the theme for this week is building community. And we are invited to reflect on how organisations like Growing Through Grief, Whānau Aroha, Child Care Centre and Centrepoint build community in our communities of Gate Pa, Miravale, Greerton and Pies Pa. On this day we're invited to give thanks and to ask how we can be more involved in these and the other things that build community in these communities. Today, we are invited to look for signs of the kingdom in all those events and people who build community in this place. Not just Christian community, but community. And to see these as signs of the kingdom. And some of these signs will not be in places that we would expect them to be. On our drive home last Sunday, Bonnie and I listened to a book. Uh, It was about, it was written from a dog's point of view, whose master was a struggling motor motor car racer. And uh, it was kind of a philosophy of life from from the dog's point of view, using the, uh, the wisdom of motor car racers. And one of the kind of key things the dog kept saying, who he'd learnt off his master, was a motor car racer does not look at where they are, they look at where they're going. So when you're in the middle of a corner, you don't look at the corner you're in, you look at the next corner. Now that's exactly the same as a mountain bike rider. If you're a mountain bike rider, you don't look at where you are, you look at where you're going. For example, if you're on a little narrow bridge, You don't look down the sides to where you might fall because the chances are if you do that, you will end up there, falling. You look at the track at the end of the bridge because that's where you're going. And the wisdom is if you look at the track at where you're going, you won't fall off the bridge. If you look at where you might fall, you will probably fall there. So the very first bridge when I did a bit of mountain biking, we went with an instructor and I looked at where I was going and he said, never do that again because you will end up there. I think that's a really good philosophy. A philosophy for churches. Don't look at where you are, look at where you're going. The diocesan things that I went to that I've talked about a couple of times where there was just this angst at the ageing population that attend the church, the shrinking numbers, the shrink in energy, this kind of sense of doom and gloom, which took me by surprise really. But it was a whole lot of people looking at where we are and, well, to be honest, looking around this congregation 
It would be fair to say that we could feel exactly the same doom and gloom, and some of you may even feel it. But I was surprised about it because I don't look at where we are. I look at where we're going. And to look at where we're going, we have to look for the signs of the kingdom. And part of looking at where we're going is to think about the kind of church that we're becoming. And we might not become that. Well, that's okay. But actually looking at where we're going, the kind of church we're becoming, the kind of things that we're involved in and how that might develop, that's a whole lot healthier than worrying about where we are now. And part of looking at where we're going and the kind of church we're becoming involves listening to today's parables and thinking about where are the signs of the kingdom in our community and how are we being invited to join in those signs and how do those signs help shape who we are and who we will become so I invite you in the next few moments to think about signs of the kingdom the unexpected ones the ones that are in the wrong place amongst the wrong people and what those signs might be saying to us and I invite you to keep thinking about that and even to have some conversations with people about that over the weeks ahead so let's just sit for a moment and think about where are the signs of the kingdom